There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Internet Marketing. So I'm here with Chris Smith, author of The Conversion Code, accomplished salesperson with a very storied history. I couldn't believe it when I was reading the, the beginning of The Conversion Code. Mm-hmm. And Chris, you talk about what I would consider a more traditional sales career in terms of the skills and the roles, mm-hmm. but very untraditional in terms of a lot of the people that you worked with uh, in mm-hmm. you know maybe a decade or so ago. So you've worked with billionaires, Dan Gilbert, Lou Pearlman, Mm-hmm. Very different characters and different businesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, firstly, do you consider, I've used the phrase there, a more traditional sales background. Is that something you think too? Is that more traditional, yeah. um, less modern? Well, it sounds so nice the way that you say it. But <laughs> what you really mean is in a cubicle, making hundreds of calls you know, per yeah. day. So if that's what you mean, that's what I was. Yes. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah, I did it. Then it eventually went to be outside sales and selling from the stage and selling on a webinar. But yeah, I cut my teeth on the phone, you know, headset, dialing for dollars. And what really struck me as you describe some of this in the book, and even now as I'm thinking about it, is it strikes me as very high pressure. You talk in the book about you have very high demands on you to generate leads and actually close leads, get their credit card details on the calls. And I was sitting there thinking, this is high pressure, hard work. Mm-hmm. Did it feel that way at the time? Sure. So what? And what's so funny is when you say the word pressure, it's usually mm. said about the customer feeling pressure. You know, every person in the world would say salespeople, pre- you know, they, I don't want them to pressure me. Right. And meanwhile, that's something that you're really making me think deeply about right now, which is that the pressure that they put on you is being put on them because Mm -hmm. they've got a family to feed. They've got, you know, bills to pay. They've got a guy clapping in their ear, tracking every call, tracking the minutes, tracking the credit polls, tracking the contracts signed. So the pressure is almost permeating through the salesperson to the customer or lead because of how deeply it's being put onto them, at least in the environments I came from. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about. Has that got easier over time, that feeling of pressure? Well, here's the difference, Scott, is there's pressure that they put on you and there's Mm -hmm. pressure that you put on you. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're a natural person with that self-pressure, if you don't need external motivators to help you kind of get dialed in each day, If you put that pressure on yourself, then that pressure they put on you, I would call more icing on the cake versus if you actually just need straightforward motivation and pressure to even sort of do the work. So I think the reason I was able to put up with their pressure was because I had so much of my own. The first time I got a real job in sales was Lou Perlman. It was because my first business I tried to open failed. I had zero dollars, negative dollars. I called my dad for money. He said, absolutely not. We got a couch. You can always have it. So I'm on my parents' couch, broke, no money. I'll take any job I can get. That was my first job in sales. And then the second job was when I found out that my girlfriend at the time was pregnant. I'm like, man, I got to get a real job. I was working at a restaurant. I'm like, I need to get serious here. So for me personally, the two times I got into sales was because my life was at either rock bottom 
being on the couch at my parents at like 25 years old or knowing that my girlfriend's about to have a baby. I'm like, oh my God, there's one of me. There's going to be two of them. I need to triple my income. That was my mindset. So I don't care what the sales manager says. I got real issues and pressure, but I think that it can get to you. I've seen it break people, Scott. I've seen it cause people to buckle and walk away quickly. Yeah. In all of your content, it strikes me that you're very disciplined and self-motivated. And so that's not an area that necessarily you struggle with. That doesn't mean to say that you never struggled with pressure, but you've overcome it and used it as a motivator, it seems to me. That's absolutely right. I had someone tell me one time in public speaking, it's okay to have butterflies in your stomach. Everyone does. You just got to get them flying all in the same direction. Mm, Yeah, that's interesting. Have you ever worked with anyone that isn't self-motivated that is actually still a really good salesperson? I think so. I, I think there are people and there are people that are blue collar, hardworking, you know, they feel like they need to earn their keep. They need to earn more than they make, you know, basically put in more than they make. They, they, you know, they care about their reputation and they care about doing a good job, even if they're not highly motivated or even overly motivated. So I, I would say you can be, but the reality is that if you're not motivated by money specifically, the downside of sales is so bad that you, you almost shouldn't even get into it. Like if the scoreboard doesn't matter, don't play the game in sales because everybody, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, Scott, I put up a TikTok this week and I got raked because I was teaching a sales tactic. It's called the double dial. People murdered me in the comments. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought, you know what? Sales is hard. You get told no a lot. People think you're sleazy. People think you're like the, the the sort of words that come to mind, the word association with salespeople is not good. And then sales tactics, people hate. But you know what? That's why you make a lot of money. You don't make a lot of money because you're cool. You make a lot of money because you can deal with things that don't go well. You can deal with the bad. You can sort of compartmentalize that and move on to the next call. So it's sort of like, you know, the sort of negative view of my profession is very real. And so for me, it's like, well, I better be able to make a lot of money then if everybody thinks I'm sleazy and greedy, you know, I'd hate to be, you know, termed that and also broke. Even if you are self-motivated in sales, I was thinking about sales leadership and I've forgotten the name of the person, but you describe I think he was either a mentor mm-hmm. or maybe a leader of a telemarketing team that you used to work with. And you were describing in the book how this person wouldn't speak to you necessarily throughout most of the day or week, but he would start the day with a 15 to 20 minute talk at the beginning of the day, which would kind of rouse up the team. It was a really good educational and motivating process. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it, that strikes me as something, an example where, you know, there were possibly people in your team that were struggling, weren't necessarily self-motivated or just needed that little bit of extra motivation. And um, that sales leader in those scenarios are really, really important. Yeah, I've sort of talked about it in the past as going from average to good or good to great or great to excellent is Mm -hmm. typically, you know, if somebody's poor or below average, getting them up to average is tough. But I do truly believe that if people are call it, you know, average or decent, but then committed and they put in the work and they do the training and they sharpen their ax and they are, yeah, motivated that they can level up one level. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that most people can go from average to excellent. That's sort of, there's maybe some natural born, gifts in that because people tell me a lot scott like well of course that's so easy for you you know it just comes so naturally you're just so good at it do you honestly think other people can do it too and i'm like yeah i've seen thousands of salespeople get better at sales because of really good sales coaching like Mm. i'm not an anomaly (laughs) there's (laughs) thousands and thousands of amazing salespeople i'm just a content creator and an author about it so I feel like I waved the flag for it, but man, there's a, a lot of amazing salespeople 
And to your point earlier, it's like, you're kind of saying is the, are the bottom 70% of the sales reps that kind of suck, does the coaching really help them? Well, let's forget that for a second. Does it help the top 30% that are already good or great or excellent? It does Mm -hmm. because they're the ones that actually love it and implement it and make more money and close more people and all these things because of it. So even if it doesn't impact that bottom chunk at all, it just makes the best better. It's still worth teaching them. And complimenting you here. Uh, so you've written the book, <laughs> The Conversion Code. And there's, there's a big difference, I think, between you, you, talk, you said somewhere there, you know, maybe there's not a huge difference between you and other salespeople. But I think one of the biggest differences is not everyone writes a book on <laughs> the conversion process, the sales process. So sure. I think maybe you've studied it to a degree that other people haven't. But that also leads me to think at this point in your career, when you've when you've had such a storied career in sales, mm-hmm. you've written the book on a lot of sales processes. Where do you now look for both inspiration and ideas? Sure. I mean, I look at the world around me. I look at culture. You know, I look at what is happening right now. Uh, more of, I am, I have a sociology degree. I don't you know, necessarily think I use it, but I, I look at trends And I look at where is the world clearly heading that a lot of people aren't either willing to put the time in now or do the work now. So if I were to say, you know, my OG, like who's my number one mentor and the person I've looked up to and I continue to follow their advice to this day, I would say who I think a lot of people might say, which is Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, he's a really, really, really sharp guy. But when I was coming up and and sort of, dipping my toe in the water, like inbound marketing from the HubSpot founders. That was the kind of book I liked. You know, I don't like books like The One Thing that's just, you know, this sort of like big idea broken down a million different ways. I like a textbook more than a business book. And so that was sort of the stuff I was drawn towards. So a lot of the stuff from the guys from 37 Signals, the guys that started Basecamp, Jason and DHH, their stuff's amazing. Rework. The the two founders from Method Soap, they have a book called The Method Method. Loved it because it was seven things we did to disrupt an industry. That's what I'm drawn towards, I think, and it's kind of what I am. So I must like myself. I'm drawn to the people that are sort of executing and documenting and sharing the journey right now, not necessarily looking back uh, at their past career and experiences and consulting. They're sort of still operating and teaching. That's what I'm trying to do. In the book, you have this section that's called, I think it's called the conversion creeds. Mm-hmm. And they're essentially your principles that you recommend people come back to, depending on what stage of the sales journey they're they're on or what goals they're trying to achieve. They're kind of overarching principles to follow. There's a principle in there which is, is essentially saying successful businesses are human. And that really strikes me that maybe the things that you're learning from are the types of entrepreneur and business people and salespeople that bring themselves, their emotion, their humanity to sales. Is that fair? Absolutely. Human companies win. Human companies win. Thank you. Yeah. And that's that's actually a homage to my first ever business book, which was called People Work, which was, uh, I wrote that with the co-founder of Picasso, which is a billion dollar company. And he was at a company called Dotloop at the time, which he sold for 108 million. So he's incredibly sharp. And the whole book, People Work, is about how if you're going to be a people person, you need technology to do it at scale as a business. You you can't just use elbow grease anymore. At the same time, you can't go all in on the tech component and lose your humanity. You know, the way we think of a business is spreadsheets and P&L and mergers and acquisitions. And the way we think of people are personality and honesty and reliability. And so if you start thinking about your business like a person, you start writing out the traits, you know, do you like that person or does it sound like a business? 
So human companies win is just remembering, yes, there are people on both sides of the phone. It's just a person talking to another person about whether or not what they sell is right for them. And it's easy to forget that, especially amongst all the jargon, you know, CTR and leads and lists and tags and stages and categories and notes, you know, it's just two people. So yeah, I, I think that the best salespeople are secretly the best interviewers. They're the best question askers. Ironically, they're the best listeners. The skills that come to mind for me when you talk that through, it must be hard to find the balance between vulnerability and the drive to close. So I think particularly early on in your early career, when you talk about just jumping on the, you know, in the cubicle on the phone all day, mm-hmm. did you ha- have the same commitment? Have you always found it easy to be vulnerable as a salesperson? I think you have to be relatable. So relatable. It, 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 there's this weird dynamic in sales where you have to be equally relatable and smarter than the person at the same time. So on the human personal level, they'd like you to be cool, let's call it. But on the sort of, I might want to buy your shit level, they want you to be knowledgeable and way smarter than them. So how, you know, that's kind of, I think the dynamic you're going for is they should want to have a beer with you. But while they do, they should want to listen to you because you're the expert about the topic during that beer. Mm. Has that dynamic been natural for you always? Or is that something you've really had to work out? I believe that you have to be an expert. I mean, it's on our culture code at Curator, my company, you know, be the expert. Like when it came to things like mortgages or events and vacations or software or marketing services, I'll tell you one thing about working in the real estate industry that's been really cool is I got to learn a really hard industry, which is like marketing and sales. But the real estate industry is so niche. The terminology, the jargon, the buyer personas, the companies, the slang, it's very, very different. If you're an outsider, you wouldn't know any of it. Real estate agents, Scott, they say that they farm a neighborhood. What do you think that means? Almost like network, curate, put a net over. That's what comes to mind. Yeah. Grab a lot of people at once. mm Mm-hmm. And it is basically what they're doing. They're, they're, that is the sort of inside lingo for mailing mm-hmm. something to a neighborhood. Uh, so it's like if you send direct mail once a month to the same neighborhood over and over, you're sort of harvesting in that area, mm-hmm. right? And you do that in the neighborhood you want listings in. Yeah. Um, I remember I was at one of my first appointments and the guy kept saying FISBO. I definitely don't know what that means. Exactly. So, <laughs> so after the, I'm like, what does that mean? FISBO? He said for sale by owner. It's an acronym. <laughs> I'm like shit. So <laughs> I, I am curious in that sense because I want to be confident. I want to be a little cocky. And to do that, I got to know my stuff, you mm. know, but I, I approached being a waiter that way. You mm. know, I wanted to know the menu inside and out. Anyway, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a tricky dynamic, but I think that it's sort of, you know, people typically, Scott, they make a little small talk, no matter what the interaction's about, and then they go into the real reason they're meeting. I think it's very similar in sales. As an outsider looking into your career, reading the books, seeing the content you've produced, that attention to the detail is the thing that separates you from other salespeople. Like, uh, again, I've interviewed other salespeople, um, meet them in my career, Mm-hmm. And um, there are there are just certain people that obsess or care mm-hmm. about the detail, and I think the way in which you've studied it, it comes across in the fact that um, you created the book, the conversion code. You, you know, you're not you're not saying that you know everything in the book, but you're saying, hey, there are some recurring scenarios, problems, mm-hmm. challenges in the sales industry, and here's the way in which I've explored them. Here's kind of my guide to how you can approach these. Mm-hmm. And I think going to that level of detail is something that not everyone does. I don't always like the question, you know, why did you write the book? But I am curious now because you could have very easily not have written the book, but there's something there that must have triggered you to think, actually, I'm going to put all of this in writing. What did trigger that? Well, I think there's two things that I have to be really transparent about. So one (laughs) would be that I'm bipolar and I think by nature, I'm obsessive and grandiose sort of comes with that. 
But yeah, like there's good and bad, obviously, with that. One of them is, you know, you do become a little obsessive. You do kind of get super dialed in. And so I think that's sort of at a DNA level, you know, good, bad, and ugly. That is something that I have. And I think that has contributed to my sort of journey for sure. But the second part of it would be, for me personally, there's two reasons that I started creating content, book being one. One was just people were asking me to. So as an example, we did our first conference, I think in 2015, 2016. We had three or 400 of the top real estate teams in the world coming to Orlando, Florida for three days. We had a lot of ideas about what we wanted to talk about, but we have a great community. So we said, hey, you tell us what the sessions should be. And we gave people like 30 choices, everything from Facebook ads, email marketing, video, you know, you name it, we gave them the options. And when we got the data back out of SurveyMonkey, the number one thing that these people wanted help with by far was lead conversion. And that was really interesting because I don't even know if most people would have even put it on the list back then. But because of what we do at Curator, we do the lead generation piece. And a lot of other companies offer Google ads, Facebook ads, right? And so it was sort of, you know, step one, crack the lead generation code. Well, because of our clients were successful teams, they had invested in somebody cracking that for them. But we weren't calling the leads, right? We weren't following up. We were just doing the marketing, advertising, and filling the funnel. And so they were really struggling because a lead in real estate in the past, pre-internet, pre-social media, was your friend sending you their friend. And a lead now, a lot of times, Scott, is uh, forcing someone to fill out a form so they can look at a listing. Those are very, very, very different ways that you sort of meet a company. And so they were struggling. Uh, they were struggling with, what do we need to say to these leads when they answer the phone? Here's all the objections they're giving us. We can't figure out like, and I'm like, man, you guys are in the cubicle now. You're, you know, you're just everything that they were struggling with was the stuff that Quicken Loans and Lou Perlman had figured out decades ago. Uh, interesting. It was just that they never had a world where thousands of leads a year were coming in through online advertising because it didn't exist. And so that transition was rocky. So that was why I wrote the book because I'm like, well, there's three months before the conference. I'm going to write the book about this. Because this is something I really know. I had a guy ask me a question one time, Scott. He said, what do you know more about than other people in the world for sure? And I said, converting leads. You know, I know more about the capturing of them, the routing of them, and then sort of the calls it takes with them. And he said, well, that's what your book should be about. You know, and this is a best-selling author. Props to Jay Papasan. He's the co-author of the one thing uh, with Gary Keller, just a sharp guy. And so that, you know, that sort of like, okay, there's three months until the event. I spent the summer, I wrote the book over the summer. I emailed it to Wiley, my publisher at midnight, the day before the event started. And I went out and gave the opening keynote and all of the data and slides and graphics and takeaways were from the book. And the book wasn't even ready. It didn't come out for six more months because of the way that process works. And it was an absolute home run. It blew people away. Just this sort of eye-opening moment. And uh, the nice thing with the book was like, okay, it's more than just our clients that needed this thing for sure, um, which was, was kind of nice. And I tried to write it that way for people that are interested in reading it, that are listening. Like I typically say, you know, here's how we would do this or say this if it was, you know, at Quicken Loans and it was a mortgage. You know, here's how a real estate agent would say it if it's a lead from Zillow. And, you know, here's how we have said it historically at Curator, which we're a software and services company. So I want people to see that, oh, it's not that different. Price point might be different. The product might be different. But the reality is that that framework is actually not that different. You went from being a salesperson, still being a salesperson, but going from sales, you were an author, a keynote speaker. And I will tell you this, you're the first sales-orientated guest that's ever come on. And in the introduction said, 
hey, yesterday I put up a TikTok and I got slammed for it. I don't hear that very often. <laughs> and so my curiosity uh, kind of leads me to ask, mm-hmm. when did marketing come on the radar? And in particular, social media, at what point in this journey? Was it in the real, real estate of career or after that? Well, I guess I would ask you, Scott, if you mm. consider, and I, I don't know what you're going to say here, but do you consider email marketing and an email newsletter to be uh, social media? Would you count that? Um, it can be, particularly if it's a like um, personally branded. Like I'm a fan of a, a writer, speaker, podcaster called James Altucher from the US. Yes. And he, he has a... Are you familiar with him? Yeah, I love yeah. James. And, you know, there's a lot of email newsletter first brands now the hustle yeah. morning brew yeah yeah so the answer that. is i would consider those types of yeah to be kind of social they're social aren't they yeah they're social mm-hmm. but more more you know you're trying to stay in the inbox you're trying to get a good open rate you're trying to yeah. get a good click through rate that's not that different than trying to get followers you're trying to grow your list no i, think there's I, a I lot don't think so it's parallel. very intimate yeah so that like i was selling a crm And I was doing it belly to belly and I had two appointments a day, every day. I had a hotel, uh, training on Fridays that was open to the whole area. And then I would go to trade shows throughout the year and real estate agents use business cards. They love their freaking business cards, man. They've all got one. And I think they mostly have them for each other, but like, they they have them. They you know I mean they got like metal ones that open beers and shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They like really love their business cards, and it's just part of the industry. Again, like if you're in the industry and you go to a trade show and you don't have a card, it's like, dude, why are you, don't you have a card? Like I know it's stupid, but we do it. And so yeah, I would actually get dozens and dozens of business cards every week, sometimes hundreds, depending on if it was like a national trade show or if I had a b- couple big appointments. And I would go back and type every single person into my database one at a time. And I would put in as much information as I could from their card, name, phone number, email, etc. And part of what we sold with Top Producer was an action plan, right? Which was like, when you add a contact, you can put them on a drip campaign. And this is like 08, you know, people weren't really maybe doing that. 07, you know, way back then. And so... I would put them on it. And then what I realized was, okay, the people that I'm adding that are buying from me, not everybody I was putting in there was actually buying, but a lot of them were buying and they were now my customer. Well, we had a 30 day cancellation policy. So if they quit in 30 days, they got their money back and they took my commission away. Right. Yeah. So I just had to bridge that gap. So I'm like, what can I send, you know what I mean, over that four-week period to bring more value than the cost of what I just sold them? And it was just value add. It was basically, hey, I know you just bought this. Let me help you set it up. Here's a little tutorial video. Hey, by the way, here's how to use what you just bought from me in a Facebook ad. Here's how to put it into a mass email. Here's how to do a couple of tweets about it to get some traction. Right. And then it was like, hey, here's how to go in and see who looked at it so you know who to call. So I was just sort of like coaching them on what they bought from me because I wanted them to use it and I didn't want them to cancel because I wanted to get paid. And then as I would do all these appointments in person, when I would sort of sprinkle in Scott something like, yeah, put it in a Facebook ad or like send it in a mass email, they would be like, do you honestly think we know how to do that? Let's talk about Facebook ads more. So I started realizing, even though I sell a CRM, the friction and the opportunity was teach my industry about social marketing and tech in a way that they felt empowered to execute and so that they could you know, use it as a way to grow their business because uh, they're not looking for toys. They're looking for growth. Um, when, when we when you say my industry in this context, are you talking about back then the real estate uh, yeah, industry? Yeah, the real or, estate yeah. industry. So everybody was new to social media, but the average age of a realtor is fifty eight. I heard a guy one time say, "Consumers are digital natives, and realtors are digital immigrants." And so the real estate agent that's sixty two 
that is logging onto Facebook for the first time, Twitter for the first time, hearing all these people telling them to do YouTube and videos. And now there's Instagram too. And oh, by the way, what are you doing on LinkedIn? You know what I mean? Like what? That's like, that is literally like moving to a country and not knowing the language and being like, what are you talking about? Versus people like myself and people much younger than myself, because I'm not super young anymore. You were sort of born like in 1984, I got a Nintendo. I was five. I played it for 17 straight hours. I have been hitting buttons and using tech since I could breathe. It is very, very, very different to get your first Nintendo when you're 57. Adults don't like video games. Kids do. See what I'm saying? So it's it's when you're born into it, it's just part of how things are. When you have to adapt to it later in life, it could be incredibly frustrating and challenging. And so I think that's why people needed someone that was a little bit funny and was willing to kind of poke fun a little bit at the fact that they didn't know what they were doing. I'm like, you're on Internet Explorer? I'm like, have you heard of Chrome? At least try Safari. You know what I mean? I would see these agents, Scott, they have a billboard and it would be, you know, very expensive. And the the email would be, you know, Lisa, the realtor at AOL.com on the billboard. I'm like, you don't have Gmail? At least do Gmail. I couldn't even talk about doing the custom ending to the domain. That would have Mm -hmm. been way too far ahead. I just had to say, throw your BlackBerry away. Get off Internet Explorer. And quit making fun of Facebook. And if you'll do that, I can assure you the puck is going that way. And and that's sort of why I was able to build my influence in the industry was because I was right and they were skeptical. But also it's a choice. So even people of your generation, uh, your peers maybe at that time, they had a choice and people still have a choice as we talk today, whether they, as a salesperson, embrace social media as part of their sales processes to help generate higher quality leads and close easier. Or they think to themselves, oh no, social media is for the marketing team. So just give me the leads and I'll close what I can. I think there's still a choice. And again, we talk about maybe what differentiates you from other people and makes you a leader in the sales space. And I think it's you took the choice too and you explored your curiosity and thought, oh, I'm actually going to look into social media and figure out how this can work for me. And to me, again, correct me if you see anything different, but I, I see... Um, lots of salespeople still today, I still talk to them that they haven't embraced social media. And I think it's a mistake. How do you feel about that? I couldn't agree more. I, mm. I am starting to get to the point, if I'm being really transparent, where I don't really think that we need to spend any time convincing people to start at this point. Mm. You know, it is 2022 and beyond. I think that that conversation would have been a good panel at the 2012 South by Southwest. The 2022 one, if we're debating or considering, should we use stuff or not? We should be talking about NFTs and metaverses and, and crypto and Web3. You know, that today is a very fair debate to say, is it worth it? Is it a scam? Is it legit? Is it stupid? Right. If you're in sales in 2022 and somebody hasn't convinced you that social media can help or benefit your business, I mean, man, that's a lot of propaganda that you've ignored. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. I think narrow thinking as well. You've mentioned and you talk in the book, uh, you've mentioned on this episode, TikTok. In the episode, you mentioned YouTube, I think Instagram once. I think that a lot of, again, uh, it's maybe anecdotal from my experience, but when I talk about social media and I talk to salespeople, they're like, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, but that's not what we're talking about here. And like you said, that's 2012 stuff. This, this is 2022 going into 2023. It leads me to think about how you learn. So are you a self-taught trained person when it comes to marketing and social media? Sales came first for you, but how did you learn the marketing aspects and the social media aspects? Yeah, it was, it was, well, it was a, a combination. The way that I learned social media was sort of one, just learning, you know, hours and hours and hours of podcasts and YouTube videos and blog posts and following people on social and just sort of absorbing the 10,000 hours required. But I also, uh, you know, Brene Brown calls it me search. And I think that's really important. I think that's part of the reason Gary Vee's 
blown up and, and rightfully so. He's telling corporate Fortune 100 companies, here's what happened when I did this and here's your version of this. He's not just saying, here's what you should do with this platform. He has the me search, right? He has the data. He knows the trends. He's in the trenches. He's posting all the time. And there's not always a direct line between what he's doing and what his client needs to do. But he's in the trenches doing the real work, looking at the real data, understanding what truly pops off and what doesn't. And so I think that is really almost required to then go sit down with Budweiser and say, here's what we're going to do for the Super Bowl ad. If you don't know it at the micro, you know, surface level, if you're not actually in the dirt, like he calls it, I don't think you should be teaching anyone anything. And I don't have the largest following in the world and I don't have the volume of data that, that he has. But I think it's incredibly important that if you decide that you want to give people advice for a living, that you're willing to take it yourself. Not all of it, because there's a lot of stuff where, you know, right now, checking that box and using Twitter or LinkedIn is not on people's radar. They can't quite get to that. And I don't think they should try, you know, but I think that... It's fun to experiment. So the way that I learned was by doing and testing. And it's funny because, you know, I heard somebody say this the other day really well. Like, if you want to know what to post, post 85 things and then look at the data and you'll know exactly what to post and what not to post. And so it's funny. I went, for me, I went viral on TikTok this week, not the bad one. This was like coming full circle. I went viral in a good way too. I have almost a million views on my new video. And it was about the fact that when a lead and a salesperson both cuss at the same time, the conversion rate is 8% higher. And people loved that. And you should see the comments like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like, it's like this coming out party for like, oh, we all do it. We just didn't know we could talk about that we do. Uh, interesting. Um, yeah. And it does speak to the idea of rapport and being comfortable with people and being real and genuine, right? Mm. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier, human companies win. So yeah, yeah. not suggesting that you cuss on your next call just to do it. But uh, I think that stuff's fascinating. And those are the nuggets that I just like to bring to people. And my point would be, you know, the, that that TikTok video that's going to get a, get to a million is, I think, my first ever one million view piece of content. And I'm on year 12. I've probably, between books and blogs and tweets and Instagrams, it might have been my 190,000th post. Yeah, we're talking a lot of time in the dirt. That's what I'm hearing. That's what you're hearing. And then it's like, okay, cool. When you when you when the algorithm tells you what to do, and when the algorithm tells you what your audience likes, and oh by the way, you sort of like posting that kind of stuff too. You just gotta listen. And that particular video for me was just really eye-opening because it was sort of like there's takeaways in there. You know, there's a lot of takeaways in there where it's a little data and it's a little funny and it's a little edgy and it's a little relatable and it's, you know, and, and it's super short and it's got great captions and it was shot, you know, knowing we would put it on TikTok. Like there, there is a science to this stuff, Scott, there is. And I think in my experience and consuming all of this stuff. You have the scientists, you have the artists, you know, the creators, and then the people that are sort of the architects under the hood of the distribution. I can promise you as a creator, I don't like doing any of that other stuff. I met a guy named Eric Thomas. He's amazing. He's a motivational speaker, number one in the world. If people haven't seen his videos, it's worth looking them up. And he says, you have to let the talent be the talent. If you decide that you're great at marketing and that you're great at content and you're, you love that component, the next thing you do is go on Upwork, <laughs> you know, and find the people that can do the sort of 
polish, post, push, you know, while you're over there creating more stuff. That's something else I've learned is you don't get to 150,000 pieces of content without help. And it's hard to get it everywhere. It's hard to, you know, take your video this week from YouTube and what should you take from that and put on LinkedIn and what should you trim from that and make into an Instagram reel? You know what I mean? That's a lot to think about. And so do you have help with that now? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went probably eight of the years without help and maybe now five of the years with help, but I invested, I doubled down, you know, I don't know how big team Gary V is, but it's very sizable. I, at this point, Scott, I'll give you my little squad that I have on, on the bench that I, you know, work with on my projects. I've got designer, I've got a social media person. I've got a video editing specialist. I've got a researcher. You know, that's my team. Yeah. And and that has allowed me to take it to the next level. But I like I had actually two calls yesterday with back-to-back business owners that found me through TikTok that said, "We love what you're saying." And we need help with that. And we want you to work with our corporate team on it. We want you to come to our conference and talk about it. I will land over six figures worth of business from the two calls yesterday from TikToks. That's crazy. So when you once you get that, right? Well, now I'm just like, well, I want to spend 80000 of that back on continuing to grow the brand. Because I'm thinking long term. But you mentioned as well, as you were talking, you're having fun experimenting as well. That seems like a key part of all of this. It really has to be a part, at least for me, you know, my brain goes all over the place. So I have to always be willing to try stuff. So as an example, uh, last week, I created and distributed for the first time a Chrome extension. Oh, right. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I had, I've used a couple of Chrome extensions in the past that are called new tab. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's what you see when you open a new tab. And I had seen a couple that were super cool. I used one called momentum. I loved uh, it. Yeah. It I love momentum. Simple, beautiful. Yeah, I it. There was a yeah. quote, you know, and so I started thinking, I said, you know what? Like there's so much in my book. There's so many graphics and visuals and there's so much data that Maybe a cool way to get people to kind of consume it over time would be that every time, you know, every day they open new tab, that visual is different. And there's kind of a a quote that accompanies it. And I didn't know how much that would cost to build. I didn't even know if it was possible. Like, and I figured it out and I built it and I shipped it and hundreds and hundreds of people have already installed it. I haven't seen this yet, so feel free to plug it. What's the name of the extension? Yeah, it's called Sammy. It it's called Sammy. It's Sales yeah. and Marketing Inspiration. Oh, nice. It's a um, free app. You go to the Chrome store, and it's like when people tweet the quote, the quote's related to the graphic. And when they tweet that, it has a link back to try to get more users. The top left, there's a logo for the book that links to Amazon. So there's some value there, but like, I don't know what the ROI is going to be of that, Scott. I don't know. Just wanted to try it. I wanted it to be cool. I created an NFT for my book launch, and ninety percent of my audience doesn't even have a wallet set up or has never even heard of OpenSea. But I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted to be able to say that I've created and distributed an NFT, and I did it in a cool way. You know, based on the level of books you pre-ordered, you got a different one. Uh, Each level came with real-world bonuses and prizes too, not just the NFT. And I feel more comfortable talking about NFTs now because I did that. So Uh, another plug quickly, mm -hmm. then, if people want to mint, is minting still open, or can people buy secondary purchase on OpenSea? It was a pre-order bonus. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It was sort of if you're really, really in the inner circle here, and you'll pre-order the book and it's a second edition, you'll get the NFT. I am going to try to create one that everyone that ever buys one can get an NFT as a proof of purchase. That's cool. Um, and it would be at the conversioncode.com if I, okay. if I, if and when I do that. 
a few themes are coming out to me. Um, one which we haven't talked about yet, which I want to close on. So we've talked a lot about motivation, attention to detail, humanity, maybe vulnerability, willingness and fun experimenting. So important. But all of this for me, I think requires a great deal of discipline. And I think here, I can't remember, even remember the figure, but you said it was into the maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of pieces of, of content that you've created mm-hmm. over the last decade or, and you continue to create now. And of course you have help from a team now, but once you, at one point you didn't, there must be a, perhaps a difficult balance of knowing how much time you spend producing content versus how much time you spend on closing, like on the phone with people and actually closing deals. Mm-hmm. How do you find that balance? And can you maybe talk through, I think it helps if people talk through a little bit about their scheduling. Are you disciplined or is that just a crazy assumption of mine? Is it hell behind the scenes? Are you organized? Yes, I'm a big fan of deadlines. And that's the only way that I, you know, I'll tell you what, I've worked with a couple of really great social media people. And one of the things that they do for you is they're, they obsess about a calendar. So they need to have a calendar that has everything in it. And, you know, they want to look at that sort of calendar view and they want to use a task manager like Monday.com or Basecamp or uh, Notion, you know, uh, Trello, you know what I mean? For me as the creator, I hate those things. I don't even want to look at that thing, but I've, I've come to sort of love it because it allows you to execute at scale consistently. It also allows you to really truly appreciate the work that's going in. You know, when you see a week and on Monday, you know, you see the story, the reel, the tweet and, and, and the Facebook and LinkedIn post. And then on Tuesday, you see all of that plus the email that's going out. It really makes it feel like you're a media company. And that's really how I think of myself I am a content and media company. The media company that I am is business advice for sales and marketing people. And when you're an expert in that bucket, lead conversion, the types, the the ways to monetize that, Scott, are actually not always through coaching and courses and stuff like that. The B2B impact of what I can bring to the table for these companies is really huge. So I talked to a life insurance company yesterday, the the ones that found me from TikTok. They have 80,000 salespeople. Their weekly call has 5,000. Their event in Denver has 5,000. Like if I coach and train and sort of teach the conversion code to a company like that, I feel like it has this like ripple effect on the world, you know? And so that for me is really gratifying. And those types of partnerships uh, that are more B2B and enterprise type, you know, hired gun type deals, they take time. They take multiple calls. They take, you know, organization. But the reality is that most of the people that reach out are ready to roll. It's more about let's figure out the right deal that's the best for both of us. There's not really a sales call anymore. So I think, you know, that is an interesting idea that you can eventually be so good at marketing and putting your expertise and personal brand out there that the fact that people don't answer the phone and the fact that people block calls and the fact that people hate salespeople doesn't matter because you're not calling them. They're calling you. And if people do want to contact you, this is a perfect transition. Uh, <laughs> of course, like we can, that, Scott. You got a little salesmanship in you right there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we can give you the, your website. Um, and, and actually, let's, let's start there. If people want to learn more about the conversion, uh, the conversion book code, the book and uh, curator and even Sammy, where can they find those things? Sure. The best place uh, for the book is Amazon. I mean, that's where most people okay. buy it, no matter what, what country you're in, it's there. The conversioncode.com has a lot about you know what I do, workshops, contact me. It's got all my contact information. My favorite place to connect with people is Instagram. Uh, increasingly, it is becoming TikTok too. But I feel like Instagram is real people and TikTok is the internet at large. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Chris underscore S-M-T-H 
there's no I in Smith there. Chris underscore SMTH. I'd love to connect with people on Instagram. And if you're listening, you know, send me a DM, say hello, say you're listening to the Site Visibility Podcast. Well, Chris, I appreciate you coming on. We talked about delivering messages uh, at scale to people. There are so many principles in your book. We've touched on them today in an hour together. But if you want to learn more, do go get the book. Again, you can find it on Amazon. I think I've seen Kindle audiobook. I assume there's paperback hardback as well, Chris. Yeah, hardcover, yeah. Kindle, yeah. and audio. The audio, if people are checking it out, currently is sort of coming soon in the next yeah. 30, 60 days. But yeah, uh, hard copy. There's no, there's no paperback yet, but hard copy, Kindle, and audio. Brilliant. Okay, uh, links to everything that we've discussed today will be in the show notes. And for now, Chris, I'll say take care. And this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.